we are continuing in this incredible chapter, and it's amazing that it's just one chapter, but it's, it's one chapter with a lot of moving parts. Psalm 119 is, is an amazing description from the Holy Spirit of all the treasures of the Word of God, uh, the attitudes that we get to bring as we approach the Word of God, the choices we get to make in response to the Word of God, all the promises that God gives us through this Word that we get to expect. And, and again, I, I hope that that's part of what's getting accomplished by the Holy Spirit as we're spending time in this, that we're not just learning Bible facts. We're not just getting a, a list of vocabulary out of this chapter, but that we're building agreement and expectation. That we're agreeing with God that what he's saying here is true. And then we gear our expectation. We gear our expectation of what I'm going to the word for. We gear our expectation for what I'm coming away with. We gear our expectations for what God is promising to accomplish through that in our lives. So that you and I go, go through this chapter together, which is about the entire word of God. And it makes us wiser. It makes us more hopeful and more expectant as we go into the Word of God. It would be tragic, it would be tragic for us as believers, having already accepted Christ and having already uh, the guarantee through our faith in Christ of eternal life, to now go to the thoughts and the mind and the treasures of God and, and just hear it like orphans and not hear it as sons and daughters of God and pick it up and go, as, as we've seen in one of the passages, this belongs to me. And so I, I hope that as, as we keep going through this, um, we're going to pause for Easter, but, but I promise you we're not done. We're not done with Psalm 119 today. I can't. Uh, and I've decided to be okay with that. But that, that recognition that there's so much here, and God doesn't want us just glossing over it. He doesn't even want us just being amazed at what's here. He wants us picking it up, owning it, and building expectation and building commitment and building choice and direction out of the things that we're studying together. Preaching, yes, amen. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I want us to continue to look at some of the outcomes, some of the promises, some of the some of the impacts that come out of this passage. So. You know, we looked last week at, at the recognition that out of, out of the Word of God, as we invest in the Word of God, as we embed our thinking in the Word of God, that one of the things that was promised, I, I'm not going to re-preach last week, I'm just putting the summary up here, is spiritual victory. That God was saying, if you really comprehend my Word, if you pick it up, you own it, you practice it, you put your faith in me through what I promise in this word. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you authority over the enemy. I'm going to help you grow in holiness. This will affect your life in very practical ways against a real enemy, against real challenges and real temptations. And I don't want to sound, I don't care how this sounds. This works. This works. It really does matter to say, you know, here's where I'm struggling. 
I'm going to gather the Word of God, and I'm not just going to gather the Word of God so that I have a Bible study on Thursday morning, or I, or I have a, a Bible reading on Monday night. I want to gather this Word so that where this Word applies to my battles, my struggles, I now carry ammunition into those battles. And when I see the battle approaching, approaching, I get out my ammunition. I don't wait to see if I'm going to lose or be defeated. That you and I get to say, you know what, Father, as soon as I see the smoke signals of the enemy on the distant horizon, you and I start practicing the truth. You and I start pondering the truth. I start choosing the truth. So whatever your area, whatever my area of challenge or temptation or weakness or vulnerability, I know I've said this before, but if somehow you haven't done that yet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really challenge, encourage, and, and uh, poke you in the eye on this. <laughs> Decide that this week you will gather a multitude of passages of Scripture about your area or areas of vulnerability. Don't just believe in this idea. Go do the idea. Gather some passages, but with this mindset that, Father, I'm asking your spirit to lead me to passages. Um, there is no cheating in this. You can go to Google. You can go to Bible Hub. You can pick the brains of your favorite brother or sister in Christ. You're free to go whatever and, and ask whoever you need to gather this ammunition. This is not a test of how much Bible stuff you know. It's you and I being wise enough to go get what we might not even know, but that we need it now. So don't take this. If you need to go ask somebody, go ask somebody. If you need to send me a text or an email and say, Reg, I have no clue where to begin on this area. And, and I'll laugh at you and I'll say, how could you possibly not know that already? <laughs> no, I won't. No, I won't. I would be delighted. And there are plenty of other people in this fellowship that would be delighted. Now, I know that's what you're afraid of. Somebody. But there are plenty of people in this fellowship that would be delighted to help you gather ammunition for your battles. So, now I'm going to be looked at with spiritual revival. And it's interesting because when I looked at all the different words that are repeated in, in Psalm 119, the single most frequently repeated word as a request for God through this was revive me. Now, the cool thing about revive, it assumes I'm already alive. But now I need to revivify myself. I already possess life, but I feel depleted. I feel drug out. I feel discouraged. I feel empty. And so over and over again, the writer of this song is recognizing this is an ongoing process. There is, there is a false teaching in some aspects of, of the Christian, the larger church community, not our church, but the larger church community, that if somehow you get the one magic blessing, you're good to go for life. That is so foolish. And, and we don't see anybody in Scripture who has that. That I have to come over and over and over again and get my cup filled. I have to come over and over again. And even if I have had 
very genuine moments in my life where God took me a large step forward in my faith or my understanding. And, and I would expect that most of you have those moments in life where you can say, here was a moment in my life. Maybe it was a youth summer camp. Maybe it was a, just a sermon. Maybe it was you at home reading your Bible. And suddenly the Holy Spirit accomplished some depth of understanding and you took a huge step forward in your faith. And, and it's real. And at no point would God say, that was so real, you never have to come back again. <laughs> I filled you up so much, you're good to go for about the next 67 years. <laughs> because what God would say is, that was real, that was powerful, that truly came from my spirit, come back tomorrow for more. And actually what he would say is, come back in about 30 seconds. Yeah. Don't you dare think you can go through a whole minute of your day apart from the life and power of Jesus Christ and apart from the constant revivifying, replenishment, nourishment, sustaining uplift of my word and my spirit. So that, that recognition, I need revival. Uh, I need reviving. I need to be replenished. And that's not about weakness. That's about normal Christian life needing nourishment. So, you know, Carrie does not believe she's a good cook. Or at least, she doesn't believe she's as good a cook as she wants to be. Uh, I think I somebody, I told somebody this in the last few weeks, I hope it wasn't during the sermon, because I'm getting sick. <laughs> in, in 44 years of marriage, Carrie has cooked two meals that I didn't enjoy. Did I already tell you guys about that? No. Okay, two meals that I didn't enjoy. And I was a wise husband. I can't claim wisdom all the time, I promise you. But I was wise enough to just quietly keep eating. Until Carrie said, put that down, we're not eating it. <laughs> so in her grace and mercy, we had pizza. I think both nights we ended up just throwing around pizza. That's an incredible track record. In 44 plus years, only two meals that I've not enjoyed. And none of those meals were good enough to say, sweetheart, this meal was so good, I never have to eat again. <laughs> Think of all the money we're going to save on groceries because this meal was perfect. Be, this was great. In fact, I hope you had leftovers because I'd like to eat this in again in about five or six hours. There is nothing about needing to come back to God for fresh nourishment that is about weakness. It's about design. That God has said, I designed you to need the constant flow of my life and my word and my spirit. And Jesus said it that way. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who dwells in me will be very fruitful for apart from me, you can do nothing. So I don't come get something from Jesus and go, thank you, that was enough. I'll run with this. And we know this, but we get to bring this wisdom to the word of God. So millions of Christians, millions and millions of Christians own Bibles that they do not read. Millions of Christians only hear the word of God when they show up at church and somebody else reads it. Millions of and in other parts of the world, there are Christians that are literally dying to get a piece of the Word of God, to get a page from the Bible, to get one, one section of the Bible, the book of John, 
They're just dying for it because they know these are words of life. Where else would we go for words of life? And so you and I get to treasure this word as, as life for us, nourishment for us. And if we're wise enough to go, there will not be one day in my life where I can coast on what God said yesterday. If this is a genuine love relationship, and if I recognize I'm, I'm simply a branch, and I need the nourishment of the vine to do everything I'm called to do today. And the last thing we looked at last week, <laughs> I, I am preaching this one. It was good though, it was really good. It was wisdom, illumination. And, and again, that recognition that God's saying, what you see is not enough. Literally, what you see is not enough. What you can understand out of human intelligence is not enough. You will drive your life off cliffs and into the gutter if you operate by your own vision and your own wisdom. You need my vision. You need my wisdom. You need me to illuminate your path. <coughs> and so this psalm is full of that concept that I go to God for wisdom, I can, I can be wiser than someone who knows tons more about life in the world than me if they don't also know the word and the wisdom of God. Okay, let's start today's one. <laughs> but if you will go to Psalm 119, let's look at verse 38, and I want us to, to capture another theme out of this. In verse 38, he says this. It's supposed to be a name. John, does that look like a, an eight, three, eight? From all the way in the back? No? Okay, but now you know it is. So I'm not doing <laughs> In verse 38, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence. So here's, here's a, one of the themes of Psalm 119. If I go to the Word of God with the right attitudes, with the right choices, with the right heart of submission to receive and to be taught and to be made wiser, but one of the things that will grow is reverence for God. And there's a lot buried in this Hebrew word. And, and I, I don't know why English, well, actually English could say everything it says. We would just need 10 words. Because as many of you know, it includes this word, fear. And it's the fear of someone who's weak before someone who's powerful. It's the fear of someone who's inferior before someone who is clearly superior. So this fear, as, as we will see for just a moment as we look at this, this fear is not about threat. Because if you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we do not fear God like he's a threat. 
But we get to reverence God with, with a recognition. I have no concept how powerful this God is. <laughs> so I can't speak one molecule into existence. There have been times in my life when I tried. I can't speak the sun to stop on its path. If I'm sick, I cannot speak myself to wellness. But you know what? God could speak a whole universe into existence with a word. He stopped the sun in its path to aid Israel in a battle. And almost all of you in some point in your life have seen the power of God to heal you when we pray and put our faith in him. Almost everybody. In fact, let me ask that question one more time. How many people sitting in this room right now have a moment in your life where you are confident that in answer to prayer, God healed you or healed someone else you were praying with? Okay. Almost every hand went up. And the other people will wake up later and realize they were supposed to. But that, that recognition that this is a God who does a multitude of things, who does a multitude of things that are out of our reach to you without breaking a sweat. So I need to be in reverent fear of that power and recognizing I answer as an inferior to a superior authority. And now in the New Testament, well, actually even in the Old Testament, throughout Scripture, God's making it clear those who put their faith in him are now the inferior of a child answering to a father. And the book of Hebrews even talks about that, that a father disciplines his child. You and I should not frivolously dismiss the, the corrective disciplinary actions of a father. And yet God makes it real clear he's slow to get to that discipline because he wants us to repent on our own. He's not looking for a chance to, to drop the hammer on us. He's not looking for that. That's not his heart. But he, he still warns us, but repent quickly. Come on your own. Judge your own sins yourself so that you come with repentance. Don't remain in unrepentant sin so long that I have to step in as a loving father and discipline. The, the discipline of God is not a fun thing. It is a loving thing, not a fun thing. When, when, my, when my parents would discipline me, I can't remember any time it was fun. <laughs> there were times it was less scary. There were times it was more scary or, or more painful. But it was never fun. So I get to be in reverential fear of the discipline of God so that on a regular basis, you and I have this mindset. Father, I'm asking for your spirit to help me search through my life on a frequent basis that I don't keep attitudes that break your heart. I don't keep practices or, or habits that, that break your heart. I don't keep areas where I refuse to grow in a way that breaks your heart. Because as the father whose heart I'm breaking, you will eventually step in to discipline me. To get me unstuck in that area, it will be an act of love. But I will go through sorrow, and that is the word scripture uses. I will go through sorrow if I have to endure your discipline. Now, actually, we'll come back to that. So fear, there is also 
honor. <coughs> and again, it, it's a recognition that I'm dealing with someone who is majestic. There is also obedience and submission that I recognize someone with rightful authority, rightful authority. It's not just the authority of power, although he has all the power. It's the recognition he is the proper authority for my life. He designed me. And he designed me in love, and now he has loving purposes for me. I, I can't conceive of this, but it's at least theoretically conceivable that there could be a powerful God who hated us. There could be a powerful God who had all the power and created us just to torture us. There are some people who actually believe that about God. But the more you and I are immersed in the Word of God and listening to God and seeing His heart and seeing all the ways that He has gone out of His way, even to the point of death, under the punishment that my sin deserved to rescue me, where I can recognize that is an authority who loves me and will even endure the pain I deserve to rescue me for a love relationship. That's worth honor and obedience and submission to that loving authority. Now, and I'm going to go to one passage while we're looking at that issue of, is this power, is this authority a threat to me? If you will go to 1 John chapter 4. And as believers, I, I think we really need to keep this passage in mind whenever we're thinking about the discipline of God in the life of a believer. In 1 John chapter 4, let's start at verse 17. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, pause there for a second and, and ask yourself this. For those who put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, this, this passage does not yet belong to you, but I hope it will very soon. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, ask yourself this. Am I confident about the day of judgment when I stand before God? Am I peacefully confident that that will be an okay day for me? In fact, what Jude tells us is on that day, you and I will stand before God unashamed. We will stand before his glory. First of all, it's amazing, we'll stand. But he says it that way. We will stand before all of his glory unashamed with great joy. Not with great shame. Not with great cowering where we're trying to find a way to hide from it. Revelation tells us that when, when the day of God's wrath, when the, the Father and the Lamb launch their wrath against the kingdom of Antichrist, kings and generals and rich people and poor people 
will all be trying to hide themselves and asking them the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the wrath to come. They'll be hiding. They won't be able to hide. But what you and I have is that God says, I want you to be confident of this. What I've accomplished for you through Jesus Christ means you don't have to hide. You can actually be confident that on the day of judgment, you will stand unashamed with great joy. But he goes on and he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And listen to this, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And this is, this is an important concept for us to comprehend as believers. And I know many of you do comprehend it, but some of you may be still struggling to, to clarify this difference. That in scripture, discipline is not the same as punishment. I know we've talked about this before, but I, I constantly bump into believers who struggle with this concept. Discipline is about correction. I know that doesn't look like an R because it's not going to work. The discipline is about correction and bringing someone back into alignment. It's realignment. And so God's saying, I need, to, I need to apply consequences to your life so that you will recognize you're off track and I will apply just enough consequences that if you're responsive, it will be enough to help you get back on track. It's an act of love. It's an act of restoration. Punishment in Scripture is about Payback. <coughs> Those who reject God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ have only this to look forward to that they will one day stand before God and they won't have a Savior. But a Savior was offered. No one will have to stand in front of God and say, Well, I wanted a Savior, but you didn't give me one. And we won't go there now, but there are several passages in the New Testament that make it real clear that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, that he is the Savior of all, especially believers. And that phrase, the Savior of all, but especially believers. If there's 10 people drowning, and I show up in my, in my beautiful yacht, and I throw out... What are those things called? Ten donuts? Whatever they Life ring. Life preservers. Life ring. Life preservers. Whatever. I throw those out. To all ten, I throw one out. And three people grab them. And I pull them up. And I'm yelling, grab the ring, grab the ring. And one of those guys out there is saying, I don't like your ring. <laughs> and the other one's going, I want my own ring. I'm going to design and create my own ring. I have a right to make my own ring. And on and on. I showed up to be savior to all ten from drowning. And only three were not wise enough to grab the ring that was provided. 
And God is clear and adamant and repetitive that whosoever will, whosoever will, that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that Jesus is the mediator for all men, and he desires that all would be saved. Those are God's words. Those aren't my words. And so this God is saying, I showed up to rescue everyone, but a whole bunch of people said, no, thank you. But once you're in, once you're in, I may discipline you, but you will never face the full payback for your sin. You'll never face it. And so this gets to be why we can recognize I can have reverence and proper fear, but again, it's not as if God is now a threat to me, but he is majestic, he is powerful, he is the right authority, and I get to respond to that with a reverent heart that says, I'm here to submit to you. I'm here to learn from you and receive from you, and I'm here to follow. And so, again, this gets to be part of, part of your mindset and my mindset that as we go to the Word of God, we say, Father, here's what I'm expecting. The more time I spend in this Word, the more I will reverence and be amazed at who you are. You know, and let's go back to Psalm 119. And this recognition of, of amazement has a couple of other layers to it. So if you go to verse 18 of Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Wonderful things. And if you go to verse 161, some other concept. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. So part of this reverence, again, is awe, amazement. I get to be amazed at God. And part of what I, what I would encourage and, and ask that we all recognize is if I can go through long stretches of reading the Word of God or studying the Word of God and I'm not amazed, I need to switch a mindset or an attitude. I need to spend more time pausing. I need to spend more time meditating. I need to go deeper into comprehending the dimensions of what I just read. So, you know, I was even just thinking this morning of, of one promise that um, many of you could quote this passage. So, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at all the people who know that passage. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so, an amazing gain of, of meditation would be for each of us, when we read that prom promise, we read that description of the faithfulness and the character of God, which we sang about this morning, to pause and now examine it from our, our actual life experience. So are there moments of darkness in your life? And I would expect for most of you the answer to this would be yes. Are there moments of darkness in your life or spiritual struggle or discouragement where you didn't feel God anywhere in the room. Yes? Yeah. 
For most of us, yes. Were there moments where God felt so distant you were sure he had abandoned you? There are times in my life when I felt that. But now if I pause and meditate on this, I get to go back to each one of those dark moments and go, Father, I was worshiping and believing my feelings, but the truth is you were right there. At that dark moment, you were joyfully, faithfully present for me. And this other dark moment, and this other discouraged moment, and this other moment where I felt disqualified, and this other moment where I was sure you'd abandon me, and I got to look at all of those moments, and I got to start praising and thanking that you are truly, literally present, because you can't break your promise. And I know many of you know this, many of you didn't share this with me, that you, having come to a moment of faith in Jesus Christ, you can even look back before you accepted Christ, because he says your name was already written in the Lamb's Book of Life before he even created Adam. That God already said, you know what, Jenny's going to be my daughter. I know the day when Jenny's going to put her faith in Jesus Christ, but I already know she's mine. And he was already active in grace and protection before you said yes to him. He was already your father. And that recognition that his faithfulness is unbreakable. Jenny still had to say yes. She had to say yes to the offer. But this God who knows the end from the beginning says, I knew she'd say yes. I didn't predict it. I wasn't looking through the mess of time. I was looking right at that moment in Jenny's life when she said yes. And I wrote her name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And now I am ungratefully faithful to her. Many of us are praying for sons and daughters, uh, sisters, brothers, maybe even parents, friends, other relatives, neighbors. We're praying for people that have at some point in the past placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And at some point in the past, have said they belong to you. Have walked and maybe even served faithfully. And now are, are apparently out there wandering in darkness, either just in sin or, or even doubting and throwing away the truths of Scripture. And one thing I, I feel blessed, and I mean that, I feel blessed to have lived this long. And I'm only 66, so I've got a lot more years to go. Perhaps, perhaps. But at 66 years even, I can say, I have seen the faithfulness of God to bring many people back that at the human level, I would have written off. That at the human level, others have written off. And said, Bob will never come back. Susie will never come back. Look, look at how they're living. Look at how they repudiated the truths they and yet God said, you know what? I made a promise. I'll never leave them and I'll never forsake them. One of the catechisms of the early church, in fact, was even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And boy, do we need to know that. That's worth pondering, meditating on, and being amazed at that quality of faithfulness. So that while you're sitting there, and maybe you could have read that promise in 13 seconds, but you spend 10 minutes pondering how it applies to your life. And you didn't read more Bible verses 
but you went deeper into amazement and gratitude and comprehension and treasuring that promise. God would rather have us slow in his word if we're going deep than to have us go fast and, and we just skim the surface like a rock skipping across the water. We get to go deep. Well, you may have already figured this out. But we will continue after Easter. And again, I, I would encourage you, ponder the things we're reading and studying. Ponder how they apply to you. Ponder what would change. Now, I also want to give you a specific Easter homework. So as we launch into this week, today is Palm Sunday. So my wife said, I'm going to give you, make sure you're wearing your shirt. Yeah, this is it. It's my Palm Sunday shirt. <laughs> but we are entering what's often called Holy Week because it, it's, it's a parallel to the last week of Jesus' life. And, and many of you know this, but... In each of the Gospels, there is more time and scripture devoted to that one week of Jesus' life than, than any other particular period of his life. It's an important week. And one of the things that's true, is, in fact, is in that last week, a whole lot of the teaching that Jesus <coughs> gave and that is recorded for us in the Gospels was given just during that last week. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is not the last week of Jesus' life. This is like the last couple of days of his life. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to read at least one of those. And by the way, the last week starts here at about 21. Uh, starts here at about 11. Here it starts at 19. Here it starts at 12. So if you actually wanted to read, so look at that. Chapter 12 through 21 out of John is just the last week of Jesus' life. 19 through 24 is just the last week. 11 through 16, 21 through 28. Big chunks of these Gospels starts with Jesus entering Jerusalem on, the, on that donkey in the triumphal entry. So if you want to read the whole last week, start with those chapters. <coughs> But if you just want to read those last couple of days about the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection, these are available to you. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Read at least one. If you have time, if you have opportunity, read two or three or all four. And, and again, the idea is not, I'm going to be able to say next week that I read all that stuff. That's not the goal. 
The goal is I want to immerse myself in the incredible love and passion of Jesus Christ, what he was willing to accomplish for me, so that I am filled with amazement, I am filled with gratitude, I am filled with a deeper, greater reverence. I want to go observe my Savior loving me and dying for me, so that that resurrection comes as a huge, joyful relief. That he did it. He accomplished it. Mission accomplished by Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are always in kindergarten. And no matter how much we learn and, and how much we gather and how much we go deeper in, in comprehending the height and depth and breadth and length of your love for us, your truth delivered in scripture, your majesty, your power, your character. Father, one day we will leave the planet and we'll enter your presence and we will be humbled and amazed to recognize that all these decades of learning got us through the first year of kindergarten. Because you are beyond anything we comprehend. And yet you're still delighted, Father, literally, truly, you're delighted that we were willing to show up for kindergarten. That we were humble enough to keep learning, we were humble enough to keep gathering and gaining. And as this chapter lays out in a multitude of ways, we were willing to learn from you even the attitudes that we get to have, the choices we get to make, the expectations we get to build as we come to your word. These are words of life, Jesus. Where else would we go with you? Thank you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.